what I started to see was there was this pattern of God pouring out his spirit upon the church, mobilizing a great missionary enterprise prior to a time of adversity and difficulty. So I started to look at it as a preparatory work. Welcome to Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America, where we are here every time to warn the nation from a biblical perspective and to help you respond in faith. And today we're looking at difficulty and blessings ahead, like real difficulty, serious difficulty ahead, but also probably um, greater blessings and, and more powerful move of God than, than most of us have ever seen. And that's what we believe um, can coexist, um, can happen concurrently. So uh, we are going to jump in today, and I'm really excited once again to have David Smithers with us. He's a, a, been a pastor for a long time. I think his real ministry, though, has revolved around uh history and God, God's moving in, in uh, churches and nations and, and God moving in great awakenings. And so he's a, a wealth of information. And uh, David, not to, to put you on the spot or anything or, or embarrass you, but I've noticed that your, your study of history in the Bible in these areas of the great awakenings, um, that uh, that you've influenced leaders around the country, and and I I know you've influenced my life and thinking, um, but thank you for your your life message in this whole area mm, of, mm. of both really what we're talking about today, both blessings and how God can come and move in amazing ways and bless us, and and lots of people can come to faith in Christ and the church can be changed, but also what we're talking about today, well, how does adversity fit into that? And so, David, let's start right there. Um, what are your thoughts? I've, I've hardly ever heard people connect these two things, meaning uh, a great move of God and God blessing a church or community or nation, and then also talking about, wait a second, there's difficulty here, there's adversity here. So, David, start to talk to us a bit here about, about what you uh, have learned in this area. Yeah, um, well, it's great to be here, Dave, and help and encourage all that you're doing in just um, calling the nation, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ to be watchful, amen, and prayerful in these days. But um, I would say, you know, my whole pursuit of revival history and church history wasn't by design. It was just something that kind of kept on coming to me. The Lord put across my path. But one of those things that I definitely didn't expect to find was in studying church history more, revival history, and even missions history, that there was a, a rhythm being over and over revealed throughout history of um, adversity, difficulties, following in the wake of great revivals and seasons of missionary expansion. And that started to change my perspective on the purpose of revival. You know, we pray for revival. We ask for God's kingdom to come on earth, for missionary enterprises to grow around the globe, that every tongue, tribe, and nation would worship Jesus. And sometimes we can assume that that means the world is obviously a better place in every way. But uh, what I started to see was there was this pattern 
of God pouring out his spirit upon the church, mobilizing a great missionary enterprise prior to a time of adversity and difficulty. And um, so I started to look at it as a preparatory work, not just something that we um, avoid the conflict and difficulty, but it actually equips us spiritually and in every way to be better prepared for great difficulties coming into the world. And so the timeline proves that out over and over again, especially over the last 200 years. So David, before you go on here, I do want (laughs) to really find or jump into these fascinating examples in history. And I want to get there in just a second, but this isn't just theory that we're talking about today. I mean, or, or, or a very interesting history lesson that you have. I mean, this is a now message for us. And what I mean yeah. by that is that we are seeing God move in America right now in pockets. And I know that there's at least some conversation um, in various streams of the body of Christ about like, mm-hmm. wow, could this develop into another great awakening, a great move right, of God where right. God pours out his blessing on America. And it's very interesting to me because um, what you're saying here is that that might not just be, you know, the the thing that comes to basically be a silver bullet and solve all our problems, et cetera. It could literally be preparing us for greater difficulty ahead. But I've hardly ever heard anybody talk about this, like connecting it to preparation Mm -hmm. for a difficulty that's ahead. Um, So, David, jump into that, please. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've kind of the way the typical revivalist will approach this topic is it's either, you know, revival or judgment. In fact, that's a lot of times the terminology that's used. And um, one of the first ones that I heard that used to mention this quite often was the late um, um, Brother Leonard Ravenhill. He would often say it might be both. In fact, um, oftentimes uh, there was, you know, different revivalists throughout church history that he would make reference to that he would give use their lives as an example of how great revivals came and it actually equipped and prepared and um, covered, if you will, the body of Christ through those times of great difficulty. So, um, yeah, this is something that we, I just want to, I think we're so simplistic in our approach to church history and biblical truth that if one, a good thing is happening in the body of Christ, if God's doing something very positive, that excludes difficulties, that excludes adversity and suffering and hardship. And um, this isn't the Bible. This isn't, and it's definitely not the historical record over the last 200 years. Most mission historians will agree over the last 200 years of missionary history, church growth, more people have come to Christ in the last 200 than in the preceding 1800. And I, and what is the difference? What has birthed these great missionary movements? Great awakenings, outpourings of the Holy Spirit. But then what we a lot of times overlook is these seasons of great difficulty that um, the body of Christ brought in a great harvest of souls prior to oftentimes what was a great season of loss of life. No one likes to focus on that. I mean, when I first 20 years ago, when I, I, you know, started sharing some of this, people would say, oh, I'm not sure I want to pray for revival if it means adversity is going to follow in the wake of it. But 
now it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and how amen so the first um example that comes to my mind and i know we're going to cover a few of them here but the first one is the 1857 uh, businessmen's prayer revival i've always been drawn to that revival i mean others as well great moves of god the great awakenings in america Mm -hmm. um, because this one was a little bit different in that it didn't have like a, a prominent figure, a, a preacher, an evangelist, or whoever was drawing these huge crowds. It was a prayer revival. You could say a, a prayer awakening in the church and the people, and then it spills over and all these lost people are coming to faith in Christ. It's very profound, and it really did go coast to coast, and God moved mightily. But what happened right after that, 1861, the Civil War breaks out and more loss of life in that war than all the other wars combined, meaning America, and that includes World War II, meaning Americans dying. And that's because, obviously, in the Civil War, uh, both on the North and the South, all all casualties were Americans. Um, But nevertheless, this is one of the, for sure, darkest seasons in America's history. But who would have thought that in 1857 when God began to move so mightily throughout our nation? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, a lot of people believe historians that if it had not been for the businessman's, you know, the prayer revival, or some people refer to actually the third great awakening because so many came to Christ in a matter of just a couple of years prior to the civil war. I mean, they estimate half a million to a million converts in just two years. Uh, and that's not even including all those who are refreshed and empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then suddenly the, our nation is thrust into this great civil war. And many historians believe if it had not been for that season of grace and all those people coming to Christ, that the nation would not have been able to bounce back from such a breach and division as the as civil war. So it, it really, it, wow. it prepared us in many ways that I don't even, a lot of people don't even have never, never considered. Yeah. In fact, of the great away of the great awakenings, it's actually interesting that I would say that this is probably a fairly reasonable size uh, segment of the body of Christ that's never even heard of this revival awakening to America that began in New York city and spreads and so forth. And, and it's, and it was, again, it was for that, it was preparatory for this great difficulty that was ahead. Mm -hmm. And, you Mm -hmm. know, we're also aware of uh, uh, maybe a bit more uh, in the Southern armies than the Northern armies, but nevertheless, there were, um, God was moving among the soldiers during the civil war. And and it's just fascinating how even in the midst of that great adversity, God did not quit his work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All through the the Civil War, there was great spiritual awakenings. In fact, some people aren't. They're probably familiar if you're a, a prayer guy. If a person that you've read many books on prayer, you're familiar with the name E.M. Bounds. He was actually a Confederate chaplain during the Civil War, and um, actually after the Civil War had ended, he went back to many of the places where the South was uh, terribly defeated and. Uh, crushed and led, continued to lead revival meetings that brought restoration to the body of Christ in those communities, those localities. But I mean, it, this is something over and over that's happened. I mean, after the first great awakening, you know, 1730s and 1740s, 
Then we have the influence of the, uh, you know, the we've got the writings of the French atheists. Uh, Voltaire and Rousseau starting to have a very negative impact upon our nation, start to change the direction of things on college campuses. We've got the the French and Indian War, 1753 to 63, the Boston Tea Party soon, uh, you know, happens. And then after that, we're, we're thrust into the American Revolutionary War. And again, historians believe if it had not been for the first Great Awakening in the American colonies, that we would, there would not have been the kind of leadership that we had that created this great democracy that still to this day so many envy from around the world, those whole concepts of a, a republic and democracy and human and civil rights, those things flowed out of this season of Great Awakening and prepared us for some things that would really transform the whole nation. Amen. Then you have... um you know, coincide. We have the second great awakening around 1790 to 1845 in America. This revival lasted 50 years and broke out all for a half a century was breaking out all over America in one part of the nation or another. But it, it also coincided with the Napoleonic Wars, the wars, uh, the, um, the Spanish-American War of 1812, and then later on the, the Mexican-American War f- follows. But there's adversity. There's um, difficulty that's coming in the wake of a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so you start to think differently about why God sends revival. Is it just to avoid and detour from any challenges or is it to prepare us for it? And so if I think I'm really concerned that if we don't understand the historical timeline correctly, we will not be taking advantage of even positive things, signs of revival and renewal that we're seeing right now in our nation and around the world. And are again, starting to coincide with some real signs of difficulty. I would share that concern, David. I, I mean, I it's interesting. I ha- hear different voices from different parts of the body of Christ, and they often talk about that God will save America, that even though we have some challenges here and there's some hard things going on right now in America, um, but hey, um, God is going to send this great awakening. And he it's often connected to this idea that God will save America. And it's also implied often, sometimes stated, but often implied that all of our problems are going to go away because God's going to move so dramatically in America. And I yeah. think we could actually see this move of God. Like I'm praying for that. And I believe that God has moved recently in various places. Like I, I think of an example in um, in Mississippi where the, um, there were 8,500 people that gathered in, in this outdoor stadium. And a lot of people were coming to Christ. This was just a few weeks ago. And I've heard other reports like this, um, um, not not like uh, we've hit critical mass yet and the whole country's changing, but I mean, I'm hearing these encouraging reports yeah. and I'm afraid that in America, in the body of Christ, we hear something good and say, see, all of our problems are soon to be solved. God is moving. And right. what you are saying is God is preparing us for great difficulty ahead. I mean, when you just talked mm-hmm. about, you know, with the, um, 
the French atheists, the Revolutionary War, of course, was very, very difficult as well as these other um, War of 1812, which, by the way, in that one, America's capital was being burned down. I, I think it's the war that's been passed over, and it does yeah. happen during America's Second Great Awakening. Right. And there's all kinds of challenges that are going on that these moves of God actually prepared people for. So, again, not right. to... Um, it's not to avert what's coming. It seems like God is doing this to empower his people to go through what is coming. That's right. And I think one of the best examples, and has been terribly overlooked, is in the turn of the 20th century, we have an outpouring, an unprecedented uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In these other revivals that I've mentioned, whether they be the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, or the, the, the Prayer Revival of 1857, um, these revivals are confined to one or two com- continents at one time. But you know, what we have at the, at the turn of the 20th century, we have a revival breaking out on almost every continent of the globe almost simultaneously. Never happened before. I mean, in 1902 in the Keswick Convention, the hearts of intercessors and people that are wanting to go deeper with God is stirred to begin to pray for revival. Soon we have the revival of Wa- in Wales breaking out around 1904. We've got revival breaking out in Manchuria under the ministry of Jonathan Goforth. Revival breaking out in, in northern India under the ministry of John Prang Hyde. Southern India under the ministry of Pandita Ramabai, who is reading reports of the Welsh revival and then applying those principles of prayer there to the orphans and the widows. We have revival breaking out in, 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 the, in the U.S., uh, through the ministry of Mordecai Ham about around this same time. And then, of course, in 1906, we have the great birth of the Pentecostal movement through the outpouring of the Spirit in Azusa Street. Man, the world has to be getting better, right? Revival's breaking out all over the globe. And now, but yet that revival kind of wanes by the round night by 1910. And what do we have happen in 1914? The first world war. It's a global that event. Yeah, that follows this global yep. revival and outpouring. And then we have soon to be followed by the, the, you know, uh, actually the, the, um, the, the First World War lasted from um, 1914 to 1918, just as everybody thought things were getting better finally. Then in 1918, we have the world influenza pandemic. And then it's followed by the Dust Bowls in, in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Colorado. And then the, the you know, stock market crash, the Great Depression. I mean, things are not getting better. And you start to understand that this mighty outpouring of the Spirit was meant to prepare a nation, and more than a nation, the world, for an unprecedented time of great difficulty. Yeah, and right on the heels of everything you just said, of course, was World War II. And so it's fascinating to me, though, that right before World War I, like you just outlined, there is this great move of God that happens globally. All mm-hmm. kinds of people are now believers who didn't even know Christ prior to that great move of, uh, of God, as well as the church. And I, I think, David, it'd be good for us to just 
um, help to make a little distinction here briefly between evangelism, people coming to Christ, and the church yes. being revived. Like God wants to revive his people. That's when we use the word revival, we're actually um, meaning to be revived what is almost dead. We need it to be revived. That is the church, God's people right, first. Right. And we want it to spill over into evangelism. And I have a, a little bit of a concern here in, yeah, in America yeah. today that we have heard some of these reports of people coming to faith, but the church also needs to be revived. Right. We would never want just a harvest without the church being the dynamic force for good and evangelism and all the social change it is supposed to be. So let me make a distinction there. Yeah. Cause sometimes we, I forget, you know, in, in our, in the body of Christ, we assume um, when we use this word revival, we're talking about evangelism. The, these two get confused. Revival is what happens to somebody who is already enjoying life, but maybe threatens to become a corpse as some of the old revivalists w would put it. Evangelism is something that he being, you know, born again, you know, and so most revival historians make a clear distinction between the effort of revival that brings the church into proper relationship with God, the father. And, and then there's, you know, restoration that gets the church moving back in the right direction. And then evangelism is what follows in the wake. So what, when, the way I basically unpack my timeline, there are spring times of revival that a move upon the body of Christ, bringing her to humility and repentance and restoring her walk with God, which then initiate a fresh time, you know, getting us on the same page with God about the great commission. And so always in the wake of great revivals is birthed great missionary movements that bring in huge harvest of souls right before According to our two, last 200 years of church history, right before a time of great difficulty. So you have spring times of renewal, followed by harvest times of missionary expansion that prepare both the church and the world for a season, a winter time of difficulty and adver adversity. And I said, you know, so the last thing I'm trying to do here is to create one of those big prophetic charts. You know, we've all seen those, right? That's not what I'm, you know, this isn't about eschatology. This is just looking at history. I mean, it is probably for sure, but I, that's not where I'm going with this. I'm just saying if we just look at it from a historical perspective, we can see these changes in seasons from springtime to harvest to wintertime. And we must discern what season is it now so we can cooperate with what God's doing. If God is in truth, pouring out his spirit, reviving his church, getting ready to send out a great wave of young missionaries to, you know, reap a great harvest among every tongue, tribe and nation, we've got to cooperate. It's no time just to be trying to keep our head down and staying out of the way till Jesus comes back. It's time to work. It's time to pray. It's time to get things right and support and be who God has called us to be in the body of Christ. 
And let's stop there in the sense of, you know, every time when I introduce this podcast, we talk about warning the nation, and we've done a lot of that here today, but, uh, but responding in faith. And David, what you're saying is, is these are practical ways to respond in faith. Mm-hmm. Let's put our hand to the plow. Let's not look back and let's do the work of prayer and intercession. Let's do the work of speaking the truth in culture. Let's do the work of sharing the gospel. Let's do things even when they're hard. And and we might even say, especially when they're hard. And I don't think, um, at least where I live, I don't think this is an easy time uh, to just go out and share the gospel and see a bunch of people come to faith and and that you're adored for your your great words of salvation. Right, right. <laughs> I think, you know, a lot of us live in locations where it's it's quite the opposite, but this is the time to respond in faith. Even um, if we have difficulty now, as you're outlining possibly a move of God followed by much greater difficulty ahead, mm-hmm. this is the time to respond in faith in these practical ways. Yeah, and certainly this was the example of the early church, right? Um, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church in the book of Acts, it was not an ideal setting. It was not an, uh, it did not immediately make the Roman government embrace and love the believers in Jesus. It did not change the heart of the, the, you know, the, the Jewish, uh, religious system of the time to suddenly support and cooperate and buy into the Messiah immediately. No, the, we have an, a very um, antagonistic uh, a secular government attacking the, the, the new, newly uh, revived believers in Jesus and also a religious system along, coming alongside that is collaborating with the government of the day to persecute the, the believers. And so, I mean... We know with this little word here, you know, God pours out his Holy Spirit to make us witnesses. Now, that word witness in the first century had a unique uh, dual definition. It meant to be a vocal uh, proponent of witness, one who testifies of the truth of Jesus. But it, it, it comes from this Greek word martos. I mean, to be a new a first century witness for Jesus often meant that you laid your life down because the church was revived and birthed in such a an adverse, antagonistic time and day. Amen. So that, that's one of the better we've, we've got to remember this. Yeah. And so when we look at things today, I think and I've heard this from others. I agree with it, that there is actually a hostile environment in our culture today. Like we should mm-hmm. think back to, yes, we want to see the fruit that we read about in the book of Acts and all the great wonders of God that are accomplished throughout the book of Acts, but but they do happen amid adversity, great difficulty, etc. And I, mm-hmm. I think, David, you know, when we look at the template that you've thrown out here today, that these great moves of God are often not to avert what's coming, but to empower God's people through what's coming. Um, and that there is a great move of God signals to us that there is great difficulty ahead. And I, I think I can say, David, I'm now getting it in terms of what you said at the outset here, that that sometimes you've taught this and people are like scratching their heads going, now, do we really want to be praying for revival, knowing what's coming <laughs> after? And so, um, you know, I think I'm getting what you're saying here, but I think it would be wise to just let's stop a moment and talk about the book of Acts. This, what you're describing, 
it is throughout the book of Acts. So please speak a little bit more to that. I know you mentioned it related to the outpouring in Acts chapter 2, but don't we see this other places in Acts as well? Yeah, I mean, the the believers are laying down their lives. They're um, making choices how to share all things in common. It, it changes, impacts the way they live and uh, spend their day together, how they pray together, how they break their bread together. I mean, it, it radically transforms the people of God, the newly emerging believers in Jesus. I mean, but, you know, I, w- I was just thinking of an example. Sometimes we forget, like when we refer to those great revivals, uh, just another historical example is, you know, a- as the Holy Spirit is poured out during the first great awakening in England, suddenly we find apostolic activity rebirthed. I mean, and when the men like Whitfield and the Wesley brothers, they weren't even looking for it. You know, they're thrust out of the Church of England pulpits of the day for preaching this strange new gospel called salvation by faith alone. You know, they, 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 they were opposed as, and, you know, slighted as Methodists and pushed aside and forced to go to the highways and the hedges. They went to the English moors and fields and preached in the open air and saw thousands come to Christ, but also saw antagonistic mobs attack them and, and, you know, run into the pulpit and pull them to the ground. I mean, it was a a crazy season that some forget that this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit doesn't matter if we're talking about the book of Acts or we're talking about the first great awakening, the second great awakening and on down the line. um, There are two things happening here, uh, outpouring a blessing and of great difficulty. I, I like to put it this way. This is the part of the revival history that oftentimes historians never tell you about. And a lot of times the books, I have never read, I've rarely read a historical book on revival that addresses this clearly and concisely. There are a few. I mean, um, uh, Bruce and Blair, two Presbyterians during the Korean revival around 1905, they addressed how that revival um, prepared Korea, the whole nation, for a, a later on around 1910, the invasion of by by the Japanese. It was a ter- There's a whole book written about it called the uh, uh, the Korean Pentecost, published by Banner of Truth. I mean, that's one example. So, David, speaking of this Korean revival, which by any measure is amazing. I mean, people, uh, the believers are before God in repentance. The missionaries are all suddenly realizing that they have to repent. And then, of course, there's all these people coming to faith. And as you just said, then there's this difficulty that follows. The Japanese invade. And that precedes World War I, which is kind of an interesting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. little little note on that. But what I really find interesting, too, about um, about Pyongyang is that that's North Korea today, and yet God was moving in such an amazing way back then, and then this whole uh, military conflict happens, and we're into World War One. We eventually end up with North and South Korea, and we've seen what's mm. happened to North Korea since. But it is such a clear example of how you could have been there, like you said, in 1906, when God is moving so mightily and thinking, "Hey." 
all our problems are solved. The church is revived. The lost mm. are coming to faith. Everything's changing, but it really was. Again, it was preparation for a great difficulty. Yeah. Um, boy, before 1905, Korea was targeted by many missionaries as one of the darkest places uh, in greatest need of the gospel throughout the whole world. But yet after 1905 or 1906 and the coming of the Pentecost, the, the Korean uh, revival there, suddenly the nation is radically transformed. I mean, people are flooding from north to south. Um, the Presbyterian church explodes. And I mean, still to this day, they have such a huge influence there in Korea that can be tra- we can trace the roots to that great move of God, to this revival. But it transformed the whole nation. And then we find the Japanese coming in, 1910, and persecuting the newly uh, born-again believers. And then people flee from north to south, taking the gospel everywhere they go, and the whole nation is radically transformed. And so it seems just like in the book of Acts, as the believers flee for their lives during these times of persecution, they actually take the gospel where it had never been before. And so the whole nation was transformed prior to the First World War. Um, um, And so anyway, it's just a beautiful book. I can't recommend it enough. Um, The book is uh, The Korean Pentecost by Bruce and Blair published by Banner of Truth Trust, a wonderful little book that, like no other, gives you a snapshot of how an outpouring of the Holy Spirit prepares, restores the church, sends out a missionary effort prior to a time of great difficulty. So uh, a great study by itself. Well, um, I want to think about this slightly differently than what we've talked about so far in that, you know, a lot of people that do believe that we're getting closer to Jesus' second coming, so here I am introducing eschatology a bit more directly, but but that a lot of people do believe um, that like the, the power and, and the miraculous works of the church in the book of Acts, that that will happen again through the church before Jesus returns. And we also know that that would include um, great difficulty. I, I mean, we're in great difficulty mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. Um, much less um, uh, having to wait for difficulty. However, I do believe that there's much greater difficulty uh, ahead. And I, I look at America's waywardness, and I think there's going to be a lot of reasons for this great difficulty that America's face going to face as well as the world. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's interesting, and I think we should circle back again on what you just referenced, the book of Acts. It's it's just interesting. If that if that's true, that we are going to move into a season of time that more um, uh, reflects the book of Acts, the first century church, that that these things are going on, the adversity as well as God blessing and moving and, and lots of people coming to faith. And, you know, just a moment ago when you were talking about how that happened in in Korea and they moved south and they spread the gospel, it very much reminded me of Acts chapters 7 and 8. At the end of 7, Stephen is martyred for mm-hmm. his faith. And then the beginning of Acts chapter 8, it says a great persecution broke out in Jerusalem and that spread the people, the believers. Mm-hmm. 
and they started to share Christ. And we see that amazing story in Acts chapter 8, I should say, account of uh, of Samaria being changed. And it does happen again uh, in the midst of adversity. Again, this move of God is in proximity mm-hmm. to adversity. Yes, and I think it also highlights for us when you look at Acts this way that it 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 just adjusted the priorities of the newly emerging believers. I mean, unlike us, they weren't concerned with large events, great auditoriums, and um, you know, big stages and beautiful churches. Yeah, they're they're not concerned about this. The most valuable thing that they have, apart from their relationship with Jesus Christ, is their relationship with one another. They had community that demanded that they lay down their life for one another, that they spend time with one another. When trouble came knocking, they went to their knees and began to pray together. They knew to do life together. And I really believe as we're looking at the spiritual landscape right now and we're anticipating, okay, God seems to be refreshing, reviving the church, but at the same time, there are these emerging difficulties. How best can the body of Christ respond? And I believe, again, it calls us to prioritize community. Do we know how to live with one another? Do we know how to pray with one another? Do we have a a prayer gathering that we readily and regularly take advantage of? Or do we just chase in one event, popular uh, Christian event after another or concert or whatnot? I really do believe that God is trying to show us there's a shift coming and we need to reprioritize what is most important. And like the early church in the book of Acts, besides our relationship with Jesus, it needs to be the one another. And, I, and I'm so concerned, Dave, because, you know, when trouble comes knocking, when it kicks down our door, difficulties come. You can't just create community at a snap of your fingers. You just can't have something that you have not been building and developing previous to that. And many people are very isolated right now, even that are, are, you know, very concerned about the things that we're talking about. They're figuring out how to save their resources and plan for difficulty, but they're not practically planning on how to live together and they don't have community. And that's a problem because that's going to be the thing that helps you the most. Amen. When challenges come. So vital, David, and I want to include here, shamelessly include here, David, that I <laughs> interviewed you on Shelter in the Coming Chaos, where you highlight how can a community of believers actually be a true community. And remember, we talked about the Jesus Circle and many things mm-hmm. that you have done and been practicing for a long time that that a lot of Christians uh, don't experience. And it's different um, in terms of uh, how to function as the body of Christ. And I just want to highlight this and that that was, um, that was Insights uh, Podcast um, number 179. I, I think what we'll do though is we'll just put the link in the, uh, 
in the description of this. If, if anybody wants to go much deeper in this relational side of being the body of Christ, mm-hmm. and what you're talking about, David, is so vital in light of what we're facing now, what we're going to be facing in the future, um, but also just in terms of, of adversity in general, that this is Amen. a model and it is the one anothering. It is how do you function as a body, not how do you go to a building, hear a message and um, talk for a few minutes and, and leave for the rest and not connect for the rest of the week. So anyway, I really want to highlight that the, the shelter in the coming chaos is, is huge. Mm. Um, David, you also did another podcast uh, with me almost a year ago. Um, and that one was was about finding God's secret place. And I think even though that's more mm. of our one-on-one relationship with God than community, I think that's super valuable. I know these podcasts were greatly appreciated by so many. And so anyway, we'll put both of those in the description. Um, but I think I want to actually wrap us up today and ask you this, David, and that is in terms of seeking the Lord, in term, in light of what we're facing, both, we hope, great blessing, and I think we're both anticipating great difficulty. But in light of both of these, um, what would you have to say about our, our prayer life, the prayer life of, of yeah. Christians, the church, et cetera? Like, what insights do you have in terms of, like, whether it's sustaining a move of God or seeing a move of God ignited, or it has to do with this whole thing of blessing and difficulty? Please, mm. uh, please wrap up our time speaking to this a bit. Yeah, um, you know, People are are so hungry for a move of God, so hungry for the presence of God, for spiritual reality. And so they run from one event to another. And yet, you know, there it, it, this causes things to surface in our lives that um, that I believe the Lord is trying to put his finger on. I mean, one of the hot topics in, in anywhere you go these days is this term that has become so popular called church hurt you know, being hurt by the church. And um, when we when we gather to pray, when we gather to come together and lean into one another, um, old hurts come to the surface. Even though it wasn't a hurt with that particular person, it just revives all kinds of trust issues, all kinds of bitterness issues. And before we can get together to pray effectively or start to walk with one another and build relationship, we've got to get past this threshold of old offenses. And so I do think one of the greatest challenges to us knowing, learning how to really pray with one another together um, at the same time, in the same place. I mean, we got, we talk about unity in prayer a lot of times, but unity is much bigger than just praying in the same building at the same time. It's really connecting with the Father, really connecting with one another, and that demands that we trust, that we forgive, and then we let go of some of these things. So it's interesting because I, I see people gathering to some of these these different kinds of gatherings that are being hosted these days and learning how to pray, pressing in to the Lord, but then the, some old thing comes up in their heart. And, and sometimes people back up and, and then uh, run to another meeting in, in order to avoid some of these things. So I do think this is one of the biggies, Dave, that we need to start to deal with. You know, um, you know, you know 
um, who was the, um, I'm trying to think of the author um, of the Roy Hessian when he's talking about the, um, um, in Calvary Road and, and, and also his, the, the other brother wrote the book on the cross, you know, uh, uh, Norman Grubb. He talks about, you know, revival. The true revival is living with the roof off, nothing in between us and the Lord, and the walls down, nothing between us and our Christian brothers and sisters. And as we press in to seek God in prayer and build a community, uh, if there's a wall, it becomes evident, and the Lord wants us to deal with this. If there's something between us and the Lord, between us and our fathers, some secret sin, some offense, God wants us to deal with it. So th- this is some of the be- you know best stuff we can get to work at. Yeah, so it's really um, uh, things in our own hearts that would hold us back from being the uh, intercessors that God is calling us to yes. be in this day and hour. It, it really does come back to a personal repentance. And these things have been lurking for a long time, but have we dealt with, dealt with them? And can we move into the kind of prayer God has for us? Or as you're saying, do we have too many hurts? Or you might even use the word resentments to actually get mm-hmm. to where God would like us to be in, in the body of Christ, to be able to, to join him in this great work, to, to birth this thing, or if it's already being birthed, to join in with it and to sustain it through prayer. And I would even suggest mm-hmm. take it further through prayer. It's, a, it's you know, revival moves of God. It's amazing or, or kind of ironic, I guess in that you can have um, the power of heaven, the presence of God uh, being revealed, manifested, even unleashed. And yet, so on the one hand, it's like, what could ever stop this? But on the other hand, the very things you just described, there's subtle things in our hearts where these things do get stopped. Mm-hmm. And suddenly mm-hmm. we don't find ourselves uh, seeking the Lord with a whole heart. We don't find yeah. ourselves um, um, in unity with believers. And one thing I love uh, that A.W. Tozer highlighted many years ago, but um, but the upper room, they were already unified. Unity was not the, mm-hmm. the, the byproduct of the revival. They were seeking God together and, uh, and mm-hmm. could move much deeper in that. Um, yeah. Well, David, thank you for sharing with us today. David, thank you for helping yeah, us see. I'm sure this yeah. is, for many, the first time they've ever heard of this. I was in... Um, uh, ministry for many years before I'd heard for the first time what you outlined in this podcast, and that is mm. that adversity and God's blessings are in proximity to one another. And that's exactly how you phrased it, mm. David, back in the day when I heard you share this for the first time. And it's very powerful. So let's uh, be full on for Christ, right? Both with Amen. we will face great difficulty like they did in the book of Acts, like they did in Korea, um, like they did in all these other uh, locations and awakenings like you just described for us, David. And I appreciate that very much. But then also that they, they were they were responding in faith through that adversity and believing God at the same time for him to come and, and work mightily. And what we've been talking about here, pouring Amen. his blessing Amen. upon people. So... Yeah, praise the Lord, David, and thank you again for for joining me today here on Insights. Yeah, it's great to be here, Dave. Well, I want to remind you that we put some links in the description of this podcast. Uh, Give those a look. Please pass this podcast along to others, and I look forward to being with you next time on Insights.